Hello everyone! As you know, my previous episode of the show with PJ Thumb got hit with Singapore's anti-fake news law, the Protection Against Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Act, or POFMA. We did it! And I must confess, there was one falsehood in that video. Ah yes, you caught me. And that was when I said that that was the last episode of season one. I did intend it to be the last, but then lo and behold, Pofma struck. And well... Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. But I'd like to thank all of you for your magnificent support. Thank you so much. Especially to all the women and some men who have written in with supportive, inspiring, and sometimes graphic emails, messages, and tweets. Even if I don't understand all of them. It's the show with PJ Thumb. Welcome to the show with PJ Thumb. As you'll have seen, thanks to the large correction notice they forced us to post online, episode 8 of this show was hit with a POFMA correction directive. And by doing this, has the Minister for Law, Mr. K. Shamugam, conceded that my central argument in that episode was absolutely correct? I ask because he didn't POFMA any of my main conclusions. First though, mad props to the POFMA office for their work. They went through my video with a fine-tooth comb to very carefully narrow in on the points they wanted to make, ultimately targeting only five statements. The press statement went into incredible detail. They even read through the comments under the video. I mean, can you imagine the poor civil servant who had to read through YouTube comments? POFMA, as we've been told, only applies to false statements of fact. Given this thorough examination of the video, it seems reasonable to assume that whatever they did not choose to use POFMA on, they accept is not a false statement of fact. So, what did they not POFMA, and what does that tell us? Well, first, now we can confidently say that the law has been used in ways which the PAP government promised us it would not be used. Remember this clip? And you know, we are just dealing with a very basic thing. Is something true, something not true? Is the color of this table white or is it black? It's, it's factual. We are not dealing with opinions here. Opinions people can have, but you know, we are dealing with facts. But as I noted in episode 8, 
In court, Deputy Attorney General and former PAP member Rikuma was quoted as arguing that, basically, as long as a segment of the public can interpret the statement as false, the minister is justified in taking action against the statement. That statement was not challenged. Harikuma later explained this further, saying that based on the minister's interpretation, that minister issues the POFMA directive. And then, if there's a high court appeal, the judge decides, based on how they believe a reasonable member of the public would understand the statements in question. As Harikuma explained, for POFMA, it does not matter that I believe my statements are true, or that you believe my statements are true. It doesn't even matter if most people believe my statements are true. All that matters, in the first instance, is what a minister believes. And in the final instance, what a judge believes. In other words, interpretations really do matter. But a minister had actually made clear that interpretations of factual data were not covered by POFMA. And this was Minister for Education Ong Ye Kang in the second reading of the POFMA bill in May 2019, where he said, So, first let me reiterate. The two gates through which any falsehood must pass before it can be corrected or removed by this bill. One, what is put up online must be a sta statement of fact that is false. Two, it must cause public harm. First gate, was there falsehood? There wasn't. They used real data. It wasn't falsehood. There was, they used real data. It was incomplete, but they did not fabricate data. The trouble is, interpretations are never straightforward. For instance, Mr. Shamugam declared my interpretation of clause of POFMA to be a false statement. But there's a whole profession of people whose jobs are to argue over interpretations of clauses of laws. They're called lawyers. Is Mr. Shamugam suggesting that we don't need lawyers, including himself? Hmm. Can you imagine a world without lawyers? Oh. But you don't even need to take my word for it, because we saw it happen with POFMA itself. Justice Ang Cheng Hock and Justice Belinda Ang both read POFMA and interpreted it differently. In the SDP case, Ang Cheng Hock said that the burden of proof on whether the statement is true or false is on the government. But two weeks later, in the online citizen case, Belinda Ang disagreed with Ang Cheng Hock's decision and found that it was the statement maker, not the Attorney General, who bore the burden of proof. Two competent and highly trained High Court judges can't even agree on how to interpret POFMA. But by using POFMA, Mr. Shamugam is basically declaring that he believes there is only one exclusive, reasonable interpretation of POFMA? You know, it's really problematic that Mr. Shamugam does not seem to recognize that more than one interpretation of a statement can be both reasonable and true. PAP ministers keep using the word reasonable, reasonable interpretation, reasonable person, reasonable costs, reasonable time, reasonable law, as if that removes any ambiguity. First of all, reasonable people can interpret things in very different ways and still both be correct. But Mr. Shamugam doesn't seem to think so. And not only that, his interpretations of my statements are so different from my own interpretations of my own statements. 
And in order to clear that up, I have to appeal to him. And then if that fails, I go to court. That's not very reasonable. If I make a statement and you think it is false, wouldn't a reasonable course of action be to turn to me first and ask, hey, I don't agree. Can you explain what you mean? Mr. Shamugam never asked me to clarify my statements. He just hit me with a puffma. I mean, I'm the one who made the statement, so why does his interpretation matter more than mine in the first instance? This makes it even more problematic that the law only allows the minister's order to be either upheld or set aside. This is a false binary because in many circumstances, there can be more than one reasonable interpretation of a fact. And the courts can deal with that. And we could allow them to act in a more proportional way. Judges could weigh up the individual's right to free speech against the government's arguments about public order and could, for example, order the government's correction directive to be reworded or partially taken down or even accept that both sides have a valid interpretation but neither are wrong or that both are wrong. In other cases, the law does recognize such scenarios. For example, divorce. Often both sides argue that it was the other person's fault. The court is fair, makes a ruling, and splits assets 50-50 or 60-40. Imagine if courts were only allowed to give all the assets to one side or the other. No one would dare get divorced. Is Mr. Shamugam suggesting that we get rid of divorce? Does he believe in only one true and forever love? Who knew he was such a romantic? Oh. But let's move on to my second point. I also said this. POFMA was sold to us as a law to target deliberate misinformation campaigns, like what Russia allegedly did to the last US elections, or hoaxes and falsehoods that threaten our safety or fracture our racial and religious harmony, such as in Sri Lanka, where a failure to correct rumors led to ethnic violence in 2018. Look at what Mr. Ong Ye Kang said about the second gate that has to be passed before POFMA would be used. Second, was there public harm? I don't think there was any riots or was there any very heightened tensions. It will fail at both gates. Is this how POFMA has been used? Looking over the POFMA cases so far, I do not think there were any riots or heightened tensions because of them. I mean, the SDP statement? Ho Ching's salary, the level of influence the Singapore government has over Tamasic Holdings and GIC, these are the sort of things POFMA is used against? I mean, we all know that the Prime Minister of Singapore has zero influence over the Chief Executive of Tamasic. What I can say for certain is that in my video, there was zero threat of public harm. No one was going to riot over my opinions on POFMA. So it fails at the second gate that Ong outlined. Yet my video was puffmud. And to top it all off, when we did get a falsehood, which could maybe cause public harm, puffma was not used. The miscellaneous offences bracket public order and nuisance close bracket act was used to jail this chap for four months. Why not puffma? Mr. Shamugam gave some non-answer about there being no other criminal offence. If it crosses the threshold of POFMA, we will use POFMA. I mean, what is up with these tautologies? There are all sorts of falsehoods that POFMA has not been used against. 
This article on the Excellent Class Notes website lists plenty of falsehoods in which no law was used at all, but instead a press statement was released. Why was POFMA not used? My third point is about who is targeted by POFMA orders. The government's pronouncements, including the correction directive about episode 8, have stated that the law does not criminalize dissent and does not target Singaporean critics. But I noted in episode 8 that there was a double standard in how it has been used in practice, and this observation was not challenged by POFMA either. And there's also been double standards because the government has responded to criticism of this law from Bloomberg, the South China Morning Post, The Economist, and the Washington Post by putting out statements that their articles contain multiple factual errors. Well, under POFMA, that means that those articles include falsehoods. So why is the PAP government not using POFMA against those international media companies? Why do they get press statements while Singaporean critics and politicians and political parties get hit with POFMA? The criticisms that I made in episode 8 have also been made in those publications and others. But why do I, a Singaporean, get POFMAT, while those other publications do not? Discretion. The PAP government just can't help themselves, can they? Before the law was passed, we kept warning that they would use the law against critics. They said, no, 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 we won't. Then after the law was passed, even as we keep reminding them of their promise, what do they do? use it against critics. It's in their nature. They can't help it. They're like this cat. No, 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 no. Get no, 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 eh? <laughs> so, to recap, the law was sold to us as A, covering only facts, B, that would cause public harm. C, would not be used to target criticism. But instead, we got a law that A, covers interpretations. B, has been used against statements that pose no threat of public harm. And C, has been used against Singaporean critics. So for all their talk of constructive debate, when faced with a substantive criticism, instead of engaging with the substance, it seems the PAP government prefers to nitpick by targeting interpretations of facts within the criticisms. So if there is a big criticism they don't like, they find some smaller statements within it which can be interpreted as false and then use POFMA on those statements. And that forces a statement to be put up like, this article or this video has false and misleading statements. And this implies that the entire criticism is false. Maybe that's not what they intend. I mean, I do want to believe how politicians mean well in spite of everything. So maybe it's not what they intend, but surely they must understand that that's the message they are sending, right? I mean, imagine if Leonardo da Vinci lived in Singapore and painted the Mona Lisa, but then a PAP minister saw it and noticed that the Mona Lisa has no eyebrows and says, hey, she has no eyebrows. That's a misleading portrait. But that's not the point of the Mona Lisa. If they want to interpret the Mona Lisa as ugly because she has no eyebrows, then that's their prerogative, but they can't then insist there should be a correction notice on the Mona Lisa, pointing out that there are no eyebrows and implying, therefore, she is misleading. Heck, you didn't even notice or care that she has no eyebrows until I pointed it out, did you? 
But if you focus on the eyebrows, you're missing the point of the Mona Lisa. But again, don't take my word for it. Just look at episode 8 and the press statement and look at what wasn't Poffman. The Poffman Directive challenged my video by declaring just five statements false after interpreting them in the stupidest way possible. But then, opportunistically, it added a bunch of clarifications. For what? Under their logic, if those statements are false, then they should use POFMA. But they didn't, so they are not false. So why clarify? And most importantly, none of my conclusions were challenged. Under the logic of POFMA, I guess that means they are entirely legitimate. And so, for the record, here are some conclusions which were not Poffmered. But what Poffmer reveals is also the problematic ways in which the goalposts are shifted on Singaporeans. Our ministers initially promise us that they are creating these laws for good, positive, constructive reasons, but then after the laws are passed, they use these laws to silence and oppress those who disagree with them. Independent and open scrutiny helps to increase public trust in the government and provide assurance that there is no abuse of power or that the government itself is not spreading misinformation to silence its critics. So if you want a law against fake news, fine, but it should be administered by an independent watchdog, not by politicians. In short, the way the PAP ministers have used the law makes it seem like they are more concerned with what Singaporean critics are saying about them on social media than actually tackling the serious problem of disinformation campaigns. Instead of challenging people to be critical thinkers, the government is trying to give itself the power to set out the official truth for all of us. This isn't protecting democracy. It's promoting passive reliance on authority. This will make us more susceptible to fake news. Coronavirus aside, the PAP ministers have used the law to quibble over relatively minor issues. What would they do if someone came forward with something truly important? I spoke in a previous episode about how the PAP controls information and controls society. With this law in existence, who would ever dare speak up to contradict the PAP government? So, my conclusion is that the POFMA directive against episode 8 wasn't about challenging the conclusions because they couldn't. It was about discrediting the criticism and by extension, me. And to demonstrate this, we are re-releasing a special POFMA cut of episode 8, 100% guaranteed that everything in it is not a false statement of fact. Check it out here. So you see how the law is written and how the law works. And it's important to realize that the minister used the law 100% correctly and appropriately in accordance with its function and intent. That is how the law is designed and that is how it is supposed to be used. And that was also demonstrated by the Pofma-ing of episode 8. Because you see, episode 8 wasn't actually about Pofma per se. Pofma was also a case study for another point I was making. It's right there in the title. And that point was, Singapore's laws are very broadly written to effectively criminalize all behavior while giving politicians discretion to selectively charge their opponents. This then constrains all political activities. 
This means the PAP government can say that political activity isn't actually illegal. You just need to apply for a permit. But can you actually get a permit? Time and time again, the answer is hell no. The correction directive has demonstrated exactly this point. The PAP government says that even with POFMA, people are free to criticize and disagree with the government. Yes, correct. Just like people are free to walk or run down the road, or video conference with foreigners, or stand quietly in a public place for a few seconds, or post an opinion on Facebook. You're free to do all of that until you're not. And when you do get hit by it, POFMA places a heavy burden on you. A key legal principle is that you are innocent until proven guilty. But POFMA inverts that. The minister declares you guilty and then you have to appeal, it's not automatic, in order to be found not guilty. That is unfair. And in order to appeal, you have to take the time to file an appeal with a minister. And then if that fails, you go to court. The online citizen as a company spent nearly $1,000 on its appeal, and Terry Shi, its editor-in-chief as a person, spent around $600 on his personal appeal. That's a lot of time and effort just to be found innocent. And remember, what remains to be determined is who exactly the burden of proof rests upon. Justice Belinda Ang, as I mentioned earlier, said it lies on the person who made the statement. Imagine you're accused of a crime, you're immediately arrested and get locked up. And the only way for you to get justice is by filing an appeal using your own time and money. It's not automatic. And the prosecutor does not have to prove you did it, you have to prove you didn't do it. That would be outrageous. Another example, the government can lie and say you are a communist or a Marxist and arrest you without any proof and lock you up. And it's up to you to prove that you are not, otherwise you get locked up for decades. And they make stupid arguments that would never hold up in a court of law like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Oh wait, that actually happened. And you know how we know? Because this statement was not POFMAD either. We know for a fact that past PAP governments have spread misinformation to silence critics, like in Operation Spectrum. See how easy it is? Why is the first step to hit someone with a POFMA order without a chance to clarify? Filing an appeal and going to court might be reasonable for a minister with a personal assistant and a big staff and a lawyer on retainer and a driver. But not for us. $600 or $1,000 might be reasonable cost to a minister who is paid over a million dollars a year or to Ho Ching who is paid 100,000 billion gazillion dollars a year. But to you or me? That's a lot of money. So when New Narrative said that we believe this law is meant to harass and intimidate critics, this is what we mean. This law imposes an unreasonable burden on its targets because the burden of the process is on us. We have to obey the correction order immediately. That's the law. And then unless we have the time and money to appeal, the minister can just sit back and chill out. This is how the law discourages people from speaking out in Singapore. This then creates increased fear and self-censorship, and that plays right into the PAP government's hands because then they can say, hey, we didn't do anything. If people don't want to speak up, that's not our fault. 
So my thanks to Mr. Shamugam and the POFMA office for this neat and effective demonstration of rule of law in Singapore. Thank you very much. So let me conclude by appealing to PAP politicians. It doesn't have to be this way. We can build a better future together if we reject the politics of hostility and fear. How do we do this? Well, the first step is very simple. If you disagree with someone, just start by asking them what they mean. We are all reasonable people. And if you don't like what we say, that's fine. Just ignore us. Just ignore people who are peacefully disagreeing with you. You are a government with all the power and money in the world. We have none. What can we do? It takes less time and effort and money to ignore us than it does to harass and intimidate and censor us. I'm literally asking you to do less than you are doing now. I'm saving you time and money. It, it'll help you meet your KPIs. Bole? So I ended episode 2 by calling for debate and I'm ending episode 9 by again saying if any member of parliament wants to come on this show and have a debate, just email me. I'll be right here. Hi everyone, Grouchy the Bear and I are here again to ask for your financial support. Some of you have asked about how these videos are made. I'm not paid anything, I basically write these myself and it takes about a month to write each one. Each video usually costs around $1,000 to produce, including $500 for lawyers to review, $300 for the video editing, around two, $300 for my script editor, who actually very generously waived her fee for this episode. And all of these fees are already highly, highly discounted. So you see, these videos take a lot of time and money. But we do it because we are here for you. New Narrative is a movement for democracy, freedom of expression, and freedom of information in Southeast Asia, and we are supported by our members, and we need your help to keep fighting. If you've enjoyed this series and would like to see another one made, please do join New Narrative as a member or donate to New Narrative. Like I said in episode 8, if everyone who watched one of our videos just gave two sing dollars, we would have the 75,000 US dollars we would need to survive. So please do consider becoming a member or donating to New Narrative. You can learn more at newnarrative.com donate. Please like and subscribe to this video and please do share it with your friends. Thank you very much.